0: So it is uh, so encouraging to see how uh, God works, and this is his intent, that uh, through different relationships and different roles and different responsibilities, uh, God gets glorified. There's an illustration. I'm thinking uh, just our band, where you've got uh, different vocalists and different instrumentalists, and how they work together is the way God's designed uh, his church to function he is determined to glorify himself different roles different responsibilities and yet when these things come together I, I love hearing a solo i love hearing a solo acapella but there's something different when there are different voices singing in harmony There's a beauty to that, to the the different roles. And, And that's the way that God has designed the church to function with these different roles and responsibilities and yet all working together happily to glorify God. He's designed us to live experiencing and expressing a healthy interdependence. Working together happily is how God intends us to display his love and his grace. Now we're gonna look at a text today where he's gonna talk about how some of those roles and responsibilities are divided by gender. It's a text that is gonna talk about men and women having complementary roles. Now, as we begin, I'm going to encourage you to stay with me through the whole thing. For those of you who are watching at home on screen, I'm going to encourage you to finish this. Now, this is in our culture particularly a difficult subject, and it is a difficult and complicated text. So again, if you didn't hear me before, stay with me as we try to uh, work through this. Now, in the text, you're going to see the ESV, the version we've been using here. They are going to jump back and forth between man and woman and husband and wife. If you read this text in most English translations, they're just going to stick with man and woman. I actually prefer that. Now because we use the SV, we're sticking with it here today. I don't think Paul in this subject is referencing marriage. I think the principles of marriage are going to apply to what we see here. He deals most specifically with that in Ephesians 5. In 1 Corinthians 11, and we'll deal with the subject here in a little while, in a few weeks, in 1 Corinthians 14 and in 1 Timothy 2, I think he's talking more explicitly about what happens at church. So you'll see these translators jump to husband and wife. I'm going to read it the way these guys have translated, but I think it's actually about men and women and the way we ought to relate and the responsibilities we have at church. So you're ready to jump in. We're going to talk about head coverings. We're gonna talk about how long your hair should be. <sighs> what did you say? You said you ain't got it. No, I got no head covering, which is gonna make me look good for the text. <laughs> the issue that they're dealing with, particularly in their culture, head coverings and hair length, I don't think are an issue today. We're talking about something that happened 2,000 years ago, so. I give you all these precautions before we jump into the text, I don't love that, but nevertheless, let's be careful as we go through and let's read what Paul has to say. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. Pretty positive there, given what he said, Huh, Remarkably positive. I think he is being as kind as he could to try and encourage them to listen to a subject that may be difficult for them to hear. Do you hear me being nice to you? I hope so. I'm trying to be nice like I think Paul's trying to be nice here. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ and the head of a wife or a woman. I'm just going to read wife and husband where they have it right now. uh, uh, The head of a a woman uh, is, is a man. Or is her husband, as these guys translated, I think confusing, the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered uh, dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head covered dishonors her head. Since it is the same as if her head were shaven, for if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. and all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, I hope we'll hear this. We don't want anybody to be contentious we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Father, we're dealing here with a fairly complicated text, I think just to understand and to interpret. I pray that you would keep us true to what you intend. And I pray that your spirit would guide us. As we leave here today, Father, I pray there'd be no contentiousness, but grace. Help us as we move forward as a church family to fully reflect your grace and your love. That's our prayer, as we listen to what you have said. Again, that's our request, Father. So be with us, be with me, in Jesus' name, amen. So, the problem in Corinth. women, Men are potentially covering their heads. There's a cultural thing going on, and they are, are, are maybe covering their head, and Paul doesn't like what this signifies in their culture. Now, just knowing exactly what's going on here in this first part of chapter 11, what's exactly going on in Corinth, I'm just going to tell you is difficult. As I, I read about seven commentators, they don't all agree. So I'm going to give you my best sense as to what's actually going on. But it could be that men are covering their head, and and this was associated with pagan practice. Now, you remember, the big idea is Corinthians is the culture is impacting this church. We're seeing that in this text. There's not a unity, there's not a love and a consideration for one another like there should be. They're just not relating to one another in as full a way as they should. We're still dealing. That's the overarching subject here today, and it's affecting their corporate worship. Next week, we're going to talk about communion. They're messing up communion, but we're in the context right now of what's going on in worship services and that which Paul is saying really isn't appropriate. So men, I think there's a good chance some of them are covering their heads, which Paul's saying they shouldn't do because of what that represents in the pagan culture. We don't treat God the same way and interact with them. Women, on the other hand, are uncovering their head. Now, it could be that it's a veil. Again, What's exactly going on? You know, there are still countries around the world and places where women wearing veil is a sign of modesty. And I think uh, uh, very likely what's going on is you got some of the women here that are not wearing in that culture the appropriate head covering that reflected modesty. They were, uh, they were taking that often in one sense saying, hey, I'm available. They were communicating things in that culture. Did everybody hear that in that culture? Should I, do I think women should wear head coverings today? What do you think? It doesn't reflect the same thing. If a man wears a hat today, is it a problem for me even at worship service? Johnny Burns, stand up. There you go. Not a problem for me. What those things were reflecting in that culture don't reflect, aren't reflected today. Now, here's the challenge, though, for us as we try to interpret it. Paul's dealing with cultural expressions that aren't relevant for today, and it reflects that they don't have good theology. Paul, while he deals with that cultural problem of of 2,000 years ago, I believe is giving us theology that transcends the cultural problem of that day and he has theological principles that apply to more than just that culture. But if women don't wear hats, I have no problem. If men do wear hats, I don't care what long your hair is. Those issues that were a big deal back then because you all know if I could grow hair, it would be long, (laughs) just let me tell you. And I don't think I would be disobeying what Paul says here because he's dealing with cultural expressions of that day that are just not. But while I say that, he's unpacking some theology that I think goes beyond the culture. So, as Paul's telling us about God's design for his family. And it's again what I already alluded to God's glory is most fully displayed through complementary roles and relationships. We're gonna be talking about some of those gender distinctions today. But I, I wanna pause and just say, guys, Different roles and responsibilities is how every organization works. Now, when I look at the world, we're not going to apply these principles that Paul's applying here to the church out in the world. I want to be very careful. Paul's not saying those folks out in the world should live with these principles. We're not saying saying that. But every organization uh, functions that way. Kiwanis the school system, every business, there are different roles and relationships. The Dodgers played last night. Anybody see the game? It was heartbreaking. heartbreaking. (laughs) They've got six more games to come back, but you got players with different roles and, and then you have coaches and you have a manager and then you got folks with all kinds of things and you got an owner. Guys, different roles and relationships In that sense, there's nothing unique about the church. And any organization that works well, hopefully they work with this kind of interdependence. However, when we're talking about the church here, we got different roles and responsibilities and authority. And I just wanna give one word about different roles, responsibilities, and authority. And Paul's not addressing that directly here. But there is great freedom that comes with accepting our roles and allowing those who God has ordained to have authority, to have their authority. Now, we don't talk about that much. We often think about those with more responsibility and the authority that comes with that as sometimes being more important. And Paul's going to make clear that's not the case. For instance, here, I get some say in how we operate as a church. You guys get that as the lead pastor? I'm accountable to the elders. They have responsibility and authority that exceeds mine. I gladly submit to that authority because there is tremendous freedom that comes with not being the guy responsible for this whole church. I believe one day I'm gonna stand before God and I'm gonna have to explain what I did but I'm not going to be alone. Those elders are all going to be with me. I don't submit unhappily. I submit gratefully that God has put them in authority over me. It gives me great freedom and be able to relax. Even when I preach sermons on texts like this, I'm not kidding about that. This is not just me, but that submission. So different roles, responsibilities, and authority. And you maybe saw there where Paul gives us his thesis statement for the paragraph. Man's head is Christ. He's gonna say wife's head is husband. I think what he's talking about here, and we're gonna pull it apart, stay with me. A woman's head is actually the man. And then Christ's head, and this is really significant, Christ's head is God. He gives us three, and he's trying to lay out a principle here of how relationships and how church worship and churches ought to uh, function. Now, I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, He's responsible to submit, to think in everything he does about what glorifies Christ. Now, I'm going to read this. I said I was going to read it the way it's written here, but the, the head of a, a, a woman is, 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 is a man. And I think he's here talking about the relationships at church. He's not saying every woman is responsible to every man. That's not what he's saying. He's laying out general principles of how this ought to work. Then he gets to the third one, but the head of Christ is God, and here he's talking about Jesus' relationship to the Father. When we read through the Gospels, does Jesus submit to the Father? Is he any less God? Co-equal, co-existent. In fact, you start in Genesis three fifteen and go back and finish in the Book of Revelation. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who gets most praise? Who gets recognition? When Jesus comes back, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that who is Lord? Jesus. Now, I think this is really important in Paul's framework and his theology as he pulls this apart. Jesus is no less God, though he submits to the Father, He's the guy that gets most the adoration. He's the guy that gets most of the prize. Don't miss this. And the principle I think he's trying to promote here is founded in this nature of God. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of every wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. Some today And it's not an unreasonable position. I don't believe it's the most biblical. But want to suggest that these principles that Paul's applying here apply to this particular context there and don't apply today. It would be easier in our world today if that were true. The problem I have is that Paul is pointing to the character and nature of God as the foundation for this principle. This principle which he's asking about different roles, complementary roles, different authority. It's rooted in God. It's rooted in God. And Jesus has a different role, different responsibilities, and different authority than the father and then he's gonna go on and the principle rooted in the character of God is expressed in creation. For a man ought not to cover his head since he, and I want you to notice here, is the image and glory of God, created in the image of God, created to reflect God's glory. Now, when he goes to woman here, he's not saying she doesn't reflect God's glory. He's not saying that she doesn't, she's not created in the image of God. It's not what he's saying, but he's laying out this principle. For For a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but a woman is the glory of man. Now, you notice it doesn't say image. You notice that? Because woman wasn't made in his image. He's talking about the nature of relationship and how that fits together. Um, Cain and Abel were made in the image of Adam, not Eve. So he doesn't say here she's created in his image. There's theology here going back to creation. For a man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Going back to how he did this, the man came first. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. It's a hard one because of the angels. I just think what Paul's saying here, you guys are doing worship. It ain't going great. And the angels are watching, not just other folks. It's not just disrupting your worship, but the angels are watching. And this is not the way God intends it to work. Now I want you to notice here from the text, something very important, and we'll deal with this again in a few months. In 1 Corinthians 14, for some of you who are familiar there uh, uh, with, with, with what Paul says, and we'll deal with that later. But men and women are both actively involved in ministry. Every man who prays or prophesies, the men are praying and prophesying in the worship service. The problem is with his head covered dishonors God in that culture but every woman or wife who prays or prophesies. Are the women praying and prophesying in their church services? Folks, don't miss this. Yes. The women are prophesying. So how would we understand prophesying? I think declaring truth about God. The problem isn't that they're speaking. The problem isn't that they're praying in the worship service. The problem isn't that they're prophesying. In their not having a head covering, they are conveying something about how they see their relationship with men that Paul doesn't like in independence. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, that's the problem. So you got both men and women in this text doing the same thing. Don't miss this. Men and women were created with, a, with, with absolutely no difference in value and worth. I'm gonna go back to Jesus is no less valuable than the father of the Holy Spirit, no less valuable. He's essential to this whole thing. Paul now is predicting that with what he said, where are men gonna go? You women, just <laughs> So Paul adds some essential theology that if men ever get arrogant, they ever get condescending, Lord forgive them. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man nor man of woman. For as woman, which he's already talked about, was made from man in creation, so man is now born of woman. You guys want to diminish women? You wouldn't stinkin' be here if there weren't a woman you guys get arrogant you are blowing it and not getting it now first timothy 2 another place where paul alludes to church and i think where he's going to convey these same principles he says women are saved through childbirth Now folks, debate what that means and if somehow women give birth to a kid or they got better odds of going to heaven and people go all kinds of crazy places. Here's what I'm fairly confident Paul means. When Jesus the Savior was born, there was one gender not involved. What gender was not involved? I wanna hear the men say this. (laughs) What gender was not involved in the Savior coming into the world? Yeah. You men, you ever get arrogant and condescending, you are really messing this up. The Savior came into the world through a woman. There ain't salvation for anybody except for Mary. Mary. <laughs> so don't you men mess this up. I'm pretty sure the inflection is what Paul intended if you read this in the Greek. (laughs) And so men and women were created to live and work happily and interdependently to maximize how this thing is supposed to function and to maximize God's glory. He made principles of division, which I believe apply to marriage and to the church. So if I can, now he's talking a lot about hair and he's talking a lot about all kinds of stuff in the text that I'm not actually going to work through this morning. And if you have questions, I'd love to visit with you about this stuff. This is not an easy text. If you allow me to use the verb to exegete, to interpret. And it's a difficult one, I think, to accept for many. So so I'm sitting there this week, why is this a difficult one to accept? It's absolutely counter to what our culture promotes. And don't hear me suggesting that Paul's suggesting we try to apply this outside of our families and outside of a church. No, this is a principle that he's designed for how it works in our lives. But we're in a culture where the division of roles and responsibilities like this just flies in the face of what our culture says is the healthiest way to live. People interpret scripture. There are some really smart people that will look at this text and other texts and interpret it differently. Now, do you think, I think, they're interpreting it more accurately? But heck, let's have a discussion about that. Let's talk about that. But there are folks that are really smart that don't see these principles there. Again, yeah, that pointing to God's nature in creation is a hard one to overcome. Women have been diminished, taken advantage of, and abused for most of history. That's just a reality we live with. Should not be. I think texts like this, some of the texts I've mentioned, have been twisted and misused by men, preachers, to diminish, take advantage of, and abuse women. I'm listening to a podcast right now where it feels like, to me, a fairly well-known pastor goes too far with these teachings. The church is messed up. Some of the things that Paul warns men about doing and having attitudes and behaving in ways, men have messed this up. Distinction in roles leads some to conclude that they have less value or worth. Again, I point to Jesus. And the Trinity. I assure you, he has no less value than any member of the Trinity. I submit happily to the elders. I don't think that diminishes my value or worth. For me, it gives me great freedom. Men, I'm talking about the church here, often shirking and not taking responsibility accorded by God, oftentimes at home, also in the church. But who steps up and often leads very well? Women! Some of our healthiest ministries around here, I'm going to give you three. Women's community Bible study. Mothers of preschoolers. Our women's ministry. These ministries are running efficiently and effectively. Hard sometimes when you got women leading and doing it well. And sometimes wondering where the men are. Men living like the boss rather than what God intends is a loving servant leader. And I know of churches where in my estimation anyway, I would say men have done this. Anybody in leadership is there for the benefit of those who are participating. Anybody who has this responsibility is there to help others grow, to help others flourish, not to establish their own kingdom. I'd like to say we weren't susceptible to this in churches, but my experience has told me otherwise. So RCC's understanding, How do we look at these texts? I'm gonna summarize this, and again, you have questions or comments or thoughts, please come talk to me. I would love to, uh, to talk more about this issue. So how do we at RCC understand what Paul's saying in this text in chapter 14, 1 Timothy 2? We're first of all devoted to living by our best understanding of Scripture, always. Even when It may not be pleasant in a culture. While every individual has indispensable responsibilities, we believe the principle that's being promoted in these texts is that the final responsibility for the organization, for the church should rest with men. That there is a gender distinction in terms of that final responsibility. Now, there have been three pastors up front this morning. How many were men? How many were women? We've had two pastors up front in this worship service. Now, this could make some uncomfortable. It doesn't me and it doesn't the elders. We've got three women on staff, you've seen Hannah and Sharia this morning, and Hannah Nelson's over here working on the tech stuff, she works with our students. These guys are a vital part of the team. And they are pastors here at RCC, that's how they function. Where we look at this is in terms of on the staff side, that final responsibility we believe should rest with a man, The lay side, the final responsibility, should be with elders. That's where we sit. Please hear me. Please hear this next point. I hope you hear it all. This is not a major theological truth. Did everybody hear me? I've essentially mentioned the three primary texts that deal with this in the church. First Corinthians 11, first Corinthians 14, and first Timothy two. Now our conviction is these principles are there. That's not a lot of texts. There are churches that wanna make this a major issue in their church. I'm just gonna tell you, we're really gonna to refuse to do that. This is not a hill we're dying on. We will die on the incarnation. We will die on the sacrificial atonement of Christ and saved by faith alone. We will die on those doctrines. This ain't one we're gonna die on. If you can hear me, we're happy to talk about it, but we really don't want to fight about it. This is not a major doctrine in scripture. But please hear us say we're trying to live by those things that we do believe scripture teaches. And we're trying to do our best. Here is a major doctrine of scripture. We are wholeheartedly dedicated to the unity of our church family. The value that each of us has to God and to one another. Everybody, everybody, everybody here is indispensable was just about said dispensable. Everybody, <laughs> I might be the only dispensable one. Everybody else is, so, so I'm, gonna, I'm gonna finish by this morning by reading a text. We're dealing with a difficult one this morning, but where we're gonna go in several weeks, we're eventually gonna get to 1 Corinthians 12, where this idea here is actually promoted. And we do believe this is a big idea. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would, make it, it would, that, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts and yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor uh, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Father, we are living in a broken world and we are doing our best to follow you, to see you, and to reflect your glory, your grace, your love. It is not easy. We're different folks with different perspectives and different backgrounds, but we are united. We are one in your Holy Spirit. And our prayer, my prayer, Father, is that you will continue to unite us, that you won't allow anything to divide us, that you'll keep us focused on yourself, that you'll keep us thinking about the perspectives of others more than ourselves. Father, we want to grow in our enthusiasm, in our faith, in our love, and our joy in you. And we want to express that more and more fully. So thanks for bringing us together. Thanks for making us a body. Thanks for making us one in Jesus. May Jesus always be the focal point of our minds and the centerpiece of our hearts. Father, may we reflect Jesus in our thinking, in our attitudes, in our speech, in our treatment of others. And particularly, Father, for those that we know that don't love you, make us instruments of grace in their lives. May they see the power of your death and resurrection. That's our prayer.